Welcome to Callin' Shots. I am Seth Partnow, uh, doing a little something different this week. I am traveling for work, so pre-recorded a couple. So uh, I'm recording midweek of, of the first week of the conference semifinals. So if something has happened uh, with respect to the Hawks in the last, I don't know, week or 10 days and we haven't covered it, um, that's because we recorded before it happened. So as, uh, as knowledgeable about the Atlanta Hawks as my guest is... Um, that's asking a little bit much. So, uh, Brad Roland, uh, hello, welcome back. Thank you for uh, thank you for helping me out here. No, th- thanks for having me. It's uh, a pretty interesting time for the Hawks, even if they're not playing anymore. So, uh, always happy to talk about basketball. So, playing coming off the the uh, even though they eventually qualified for the playoffs, but it was not a long stay and very disappointing stay to be honest um has to be considered a a not a unsuccessful season coming off of last year yeah i would say so i think it has <laughs> to be uh just just because and, and they sort of acknowledge that too i mean you never want to use the the failure word or whatever it is but i think to a man i think no one was exactly thrilled with the way it happened all the way through there was a sort of a, a hint of frustration dating back to like I don't know, December or January. It was like no one was ever really satisfied with what was going on and clearly with the way it ended. Uh, that, that, I think that's a, that's accurate description. Sure. So what? where did this Where did this season go wrong for Atlanta? I mean, a lot of different things, I would say. Um, they will point to some of the uh, challenges early in the year with guys coming off of injuries and uh, also having a pretty extended COVID battle. Not that they were the only team that had that. Um, those are factors, and I, I don't want to ignore them, but I think they can also be kind of a crutch, too, that might be a little bit uh, overstated on some level. Uh, I think really what it comes down to is that, um, you know, perhaps they weren't as good as advertised, number one, and also number two, the defense just kind of fell apart for the most part. I mean, you cannot have the type of success they want to have while carrying a bottom five defense, and that's kind of where they were this year. Whether that's real or not, sort of in the abstract, uh, that was the case over 82 games. They were, I think, 27th in the league in defense, and uh, no matter how good you are on offense, you kind of hard, it's kind of hard to overcome that. And when we talked previously, we, we noted that that a lot of a, a big chunk of the defensive problem was they just hadn't had their three best defenders available a lot in yep. in Capella, Kongwu, and, and uh, DeAndre Hunter. Um, that said, I think that, you know, we have, you know, seen some other players, I don't want to say get exposed, but, um, the weakness is inherent in, I mean, you can start at, you can start at Trey Young, but probably have to look at John Collins, have to look at Kevin Herter as well, um, in terms of, okay, well, if DeAndre Hunter is out and our defense falls apart, what does that say about our defensive talent? Yeah, and I think it would be appropriate to just point out that this defensive roster is just not particularly good. I mean, clearly Click Capella is quite good when he is healthy, and I think in the second half of the season in particular, he was uh, he was pretty much his good, normal self, and Akong was a talented guy, and as far as a backup center is concerned, he's certainly above average defensively. But up and down the roster, even Hunter, I think, as you know, clearly their best guy on the wing, it wasn't like he was great defensively this year. I mean, he was probably the best guy they had, along with DeLon Wright in a smaller role, but he's not a stopper right now in terms of what you would sort of look to as a potential, you know, 1A kind of defender on the perimeter. And, yeah, I do think that guys like Herter and Collins are generally okay, but they're also not huge positive difference makers either defensively. Um, I actually think that Bogdanovich was probably worse than um, Herter this year in terms of his defensive um, 
output. Part of that is just he's just a little bit step slow. He's been banged up quite a bit the last couple years, but I think as he gets older, his defense has kind of waxed and waned a little bit. And then, of course, you go back to Trey, and you're also playing Gallinari a lot of minutes. And, you know, Trey and Gallinari are two of the worst defenders in the league relative to position. So having those two very glaring negatives, and I think Bogdanovich was a pretty significant negative as well, and then only really having one spot on the floor at center that is a, a genuine positive, um, as many as many neutrals, neutral defenders as they have, and I think guys like Herter and Collins are close to neutral, um, you don't have enough positives to outweigh what you have on the negative column. Sure. Um so th- it's interesting that you're uh, that down on on Hunter, who I you know by reputation certainly, and I think by observation, his first couple years in the league was maybe a little better than what you're describing defensively. Is this is he just not developing along the right path? Was there some injuries involved? Was it the the sort of the normal trajectory of as young player gets to have gets to do more offensively, their defense uh, becomes less of a focus and then just less good. Um, which is, you know, that's not a, it's not a unique criticism. Uh, the, you know, there's a, there's a fairly linear trade-off between usage and defensive uh, intensity that we see from, from most players. But is he some, so which of those factors or what combination of those factors do you ascribe it to? Or have I just been overrating him all along? <laughs> no, I, I think I might have uh, come off more negative than I mean. I think he's still a pretty good defender and I'm not really, I'm not saying he was bad or anything. It's just that, if you look at a team that had the aspirations that they have and, you know, pointed out that, you know, you clearly have this one guy that you're really relying on to be your game-changing defender, I'm not sure he's that. It's not like he's bad. I think he's still pretty good. He's big. He's physical. And at times he's been uh, he's been locked in and was good. Even in the playoffs, had some nice moments as well. But between the injuries, I think, number one, like he battled some back stuff this year. Um, he missed, I think, like close to 30 games off and on with, with various maladies, which certainly sort of held him back a little bit. And I think just kind of having to be overtaxed as well, you know, he does like to have his mid-range jump shots, as I know you've probably observed. He does like to have a little bit more usage than maybe he deserves on offense. And it's that whole calculus of just maybe not having his best season overall physically probably held him back a little bit. I do want to be clear. I think he's pretty good defensively. It's just that he's not he's not right now anyway in year three heading into year four a bona fide proven stopper. He's just he's a good defender. And the problem is not really him. It's that he's the only guy they have. So if we're, I mean, if we're going to make comparisons to, to players who are still alive in the playoffs, he's probably closer to Reggie Bullock than he is Dorian Finney-Smith or Mikhail Bridges as a, as a uh, Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, he's obviously a little bit bigger than somebody like, somebody like Reggie, just because like, that's one of the strengths he has, that he is legit 6'8 and probably 220, 230. He's got great size, and that really helps him. Um, I was actually interested by this as sort of a, sort of a sidebar, is like, in the past, before this season in particular, they kind of had him play as their primary on guards a lot. Like, McMillan seemed to like that. And I don't, I don't know if it was just because they had nobody else to guard big wings this year, but he kind of got moved more into to a traditional, you know, 3-4 defender role. He played more four this year as well, which maybe limited some of his impact because um, at the four, he's less special defensively. Obviously, he can switch and all that stuff. But uh, I think, yeah, he's, he's a little bit more in the above average category than the, you know, the huge, the huge like difference maker, McKill Bridges tier, at least for now. Sure. So, I mean, like, having kind of scuffled through the season and then, um, I think probably unsurprisingly, just on a talent basis, kind of cruising through the the the, the playing tournament. Um, this is a after after like you know being 
bonafide box office in the playoffs uh, last year. This was a disappointing playoff run, uh, especially, I would say, for Trey. Um, as good as he was last year, this year, um, for, for some of the first times, maybe since his rookie year, I don't want to say he looked lost, but I'll say he looked lost at times in, in against Miami. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I mean, uh, I I made this hypothetical on my podcast this week, and it was basically like, uh, imagine what the reaction would have been to this playoff performance if he didn't have last year's playoff performance. Like if he didn't if he didn't come out and have that great and he and he was he was awesome at times in that playoff run last year. They make that run. If this had been his first trip to the playoffs and he had been as bad as he was in that Miami series, the the blowback would have been, uh, let's just say, considerable in my mind. I was trying to think about like what the reaction would have been. It would have been like, oh, this guy, we, we tried to tell you, you know, how flawed he was and this is going to be what it is. And um, I think he avoided a lot of that because he had that run last year. But, I mean, you know this very well, but, I mean, he had one of the worst playoff series for a number one guy of his of his stature like in a long, long time. I mean, that, that's how bad he was in that series. I mean, he, his numbers, his impact, um, when you throw in his defense, that becomes even worse. But yeah, I mean, you use the word lost. He, the way that I would describe it is like weirdly passive. Like not that it was an easy matchup because it obviously wasn't. Miami was great defensively the entire series, but by game, uh, by game four, especially in game five, like he kind of, I don't, I don't want to say he gave up, but it was like he stopped attacking. And the way that, um, I get frustrated with him sometimes is kind of being overly aggressive, shooting too much, taking bad shots, and he kind of went the other way. It almost would have been better if he had done his usual um, routine of maybe overshooting and over trying to create, and instead he kind of just like went into a shell and stopped doing very much. It was a, it was kind of odd to see. Yeah, I mean, was it was it the end of five where you know down one possession, he just sort of picked up his dribble out by half court. Yeah, and it was. It, Again, if we have if if there's a critique you have of Trey offensively, it's maybe over dribbling and and it just like just picked the ball up and and I don't remember if that was the same possession or not that ended up with you know needing a three and, and ending up with like a gallo fading eighteen footer after burning twenty seconds of clock <laughs> and just one of the the one of the uh, a Timberwolves esque uh, understanding of time and score almost uh, in, in, on that play, but yeah, so. Um, this is going to sound weird because, uh, you know, I, it seems when I'm talking about the Hawks, I go against the grain. Uh, this, I mean, the playoffs going the way they did, I think is a positive for the Hawks. Um, just because I think that there was a little, like, there's a little bit of fortuitous matchups last year, a little bit of lightning in a bottle, a little bit of we're better than we are. And just getting, you know, getting slapped in the face like this is, uh, you know, maybe, okay, well, maybe I do need to be better defensively. Maybe we do need more talent. Maybe we do need a secondary shot creator. Maybe we do need more defense. Just, like, a reality check that's sort of necessary for a team that at least seems to have aspirations to be more than, like, hey, we can make the second round and be pretty frisky. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point in that um, if they needed a wake-up call, they certainly would have gotten it from this series. I mean, there was kind of going back to the middle of the season, some outward frustrations from even from Travis Schlenk, who's pretty candid by lead executive uh, standards. He does kind of say what he thinks most of the time. And uh, he was openly questioning himself for bringing everybody back. Like there was some uh, real interesting uh, comments from him on the record. And yeah, I think that going into the playoffs, 
it would have been easy for them to fool themselves again had they performed well or maybe pulled an upset in the first round and get out of the play-in. And it's like, okay, the regular season was just, was just a fluke, and now we're back to where we were last year. It's hard to sell that now with just how ugly it was because, honestly, they should have got swept. I mean, they, they stole game three, but they were not the better team in that game either, and they really could have gotten unceremoniously swept rather than just in a five-game gentleman sweep. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's a pretty good point in terms of just a big picture. Like, no one's thrilled about it, but in terms of just kind of being that uh, gentle or not-so-gentle reminder that you're just not good enough right now and maybe you don't want to fool yourself in thinking that last year you were, you're one of the four best teams in the league because, you know, by team quality, they probably weren't last year. And you look at it now, and they, they didn't change much. They brought the band back. You kind of see why. They were young last year. They made that run. It's kind of hard to sell changes um, after that, but now um, you know all the all the guys that are, are their key guys are under contract, which makes it interesting in itself. But certainly, it would be hard to look yourself in the mirror and be like, "All right, we're good enough. Let's just run it back again." I mean, I think given the sort of the tendency towards optimism of of everybody in and around the NBA, I don't think a gentle <laughs> reminder is enough. I think a a yeah. stark, painful reminder is is. Is uh, for like there are probably some teams and players that can that a gentle nudge is good enough. I would submit that that's less common. Um, so, uh, what now? Um, does does uh, I mean is it, where do they make changes? Are there changes on the the coaching staff? Are there are there trades in the offing? Is is there some some sort of restructure of actually how the team plays a little bit? Um, this is not a necessarily a trade specific thing. But I do think that there's we I think we are seeing as sort of the the era of heliocentrism, I think, winds down a little bit. I think we are seeing some of the limitations of that approach, not just in Atlanta, but across the league. Um, And and, you know, not not having a plan B and not having, you know, another option. If, say, for example, uh, your your main guy is scuffling a little bit. Um, So. Is that a personnel matter? Is there something that they can just restructure internally? Would that require new scheme, probably new coaches? Like, that's I know I just asked ten questions, but but <laughs> no, any of them? I will... mean, yeah, no, I think that um, there is uh, there are a couple of debates happening now, and I think it's pretty interesting. It's like locally, there's the debate about whether you need a number two guy that's a real number two guy, and I think that. Um, objectively, the Hawks don't really have that. They have a bunch of guys who, at least a couple guys who are like top 50, 60 players in the league. I think Collins and Capella are in that range, but they're not number two offensive options in terms of like creation. And they don't really have that guy. It's been Mike at times, and he's been really good when he's had it, but he's got some injuries, getting a little bit older, etc. And I think that if you watch that Heat series and kind of take that in itself, um, it was obvious they didn't really have a number two option when Trey didn't have it. And that's that's one of the questions but then, of course, you get into the fact that, like, if you go find that guy, is that guy going to help you defensively? And your defense was the problem for the season. So it's like these two competing, almost, questions about the roster. And then you throw in McMillan, who I think he's in the middle of coaches that don't really um, add a ton or detract a ton. I think he's in that, in that pretty big middle. I'm not sure how you feel about McMillan, but I, I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's uh, Eric Spolster either, if that makes sense. So, like, I think he is certainly someone who won't have a ton of goodwill built up necessarily, but also that was year one of a four-year extension that he got after taking over. And I think if he wasn't already, uh, you know, if he wasn't already in trouble, he probably is not going to be now, at least for, at least for now. So he's not the most innovative guy. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's sort of a detraction from him 
is that if you kind of bring everybody back, I don't think that he'd be a guy I rely on to kind of make these sweeping changes to your approach. So um, the one thing that I'm confident in is that they're they're probably going to do something different. It's just kind of hard to pin down because of the roster situation. Like all, you know, eight of their top nine guys are under contract for next season. That includes Gallinari who has this, who has this very strange non-guarantee, but they don't have a ton of just inherent flexibility. They have tradable contracts, and I think that they're going to move somebody, but there isn't like an obvious, this guy has to be traded now decision. So it's like a, a very uncertain offseason, but also an offseason where they kind of have to do something different, I think. I mean, the the guy who needed to be traded got traded already. Well, yeah, like, that, he, he was the obvious name. And I think if you asked me this six months ago or four months ago, who would be the most likely to be traded, I would have told you Cam Reddish and he was traded. And it didn't fix everything. They, they played better after he got traded, for the record. But... Um, yeah, he was the one guy that they kind of had to move between him wanting out, et cetera. And now they have guys who have been on the block before. You know, John Collins seems to be in trade rumors every single year, and they haven't moved him yet, and they paid him. But if he was traded, would, would I be surprised? No. Um, they also have these two centers who can't or won't play together with Capella and Okongwu, one of which is signed long-term as a big-money center, and the other one was, in, was a, a top-half-of-the-lottery draft pick two years ago that, like, it, it kind of makes some sense long-term. Like, you have to do something with one of those guys. I mean, it would, it would not really make a lot of sense to just keep having a Kongwu be a 16-minute-a-game backup center after you use the lottery pick on him. So you have these somewhat obvious potential moves, and then you have the wing situation. I mean, just candidly, the, the three guys they had on the wing this year, if you, want, if you want to say four with Cam Reddish, they just weren't good enough as a whole this year. Between Herder, Bogdanovich, Hunter, between availability... Uh, and just performance, um, you could certainly argue that they they, they, sort of, they sort of need a wing upgrade, but like, okay, that's like five things, and which one of those do you want to tackle? Right, and it seems like the, the funny thing is, is it seems like one of the most rumored acquisition targets is another center. Yeah, at least, I mean, at least that's... from the outside, it's <laughs> like, like, you know, the, they're, they're among the teams when Rudy Gobert comes up that, that Atlanta is... Is and I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that that would certainly be a, a great spot for Rudy to land. I think that I, I, I think that uh, you know he, he might uh, we we might finally get some answers as to how good his hands are, given that like the ball <laughs> the ball will be, um, a but um, but yeah, it's like that's like the position of strength, and then then you know, but so but where do you think they actually end up going? Yeah, I mean, I think the Rudy thing is interesting in that, uh, you know, if you're drawing up what they need in the lab, an, an upgrade from Click Capella is not really what I would say they need. But also, Rudy is just he's he's just better, so it's not like you wouldn't do that if it presented itself at a reasonable price. But uh, I think it, for for me, what I you know what you want is the uh, the guy that every team wants, which is the two way. Um, wing player that can be a, a number one or number two option and also play defense. And that guy's just not available to you. So it's like, uh, for me, I would probably prioritize some defensive help probably on the wing. I think that long-term, um, your, your, your shooting guard duo of Herder and Bogdanovich probably is not the best, um, idea with regard to playing alongside Trey Young in the current system that they have. And I think it's it's worked better than most people have thought so far. Like, actually, look at the numbers. When Herder and Bogey play together, they actually have a lot of success. It's actually very interesting because they've you you would think they they just get killed with that with that duo on the wing with Trey, but they really don't, at least historically. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think what you probably end up doing is. Uh, 
maybe packaging uh, one of those wings with another asset, whether it be a, a pick or Jalen Johnson or something else, and try to upgrade on the wing, that's the easy move, like sort of the turnkey move. The more aggressive one would be to maybe move on from John Collins finally after all of this time. But for me, I hesitate to do that just because they don't really have a plan if they do that. Uh, you know, Gall- Gallo, both from contract-wise age-wise, defense-wise, is not going to be a primary for uh, as a starter for me long-term. And if you move on from Collins, you don't really have that internal option. I know, I know Jalen Johnson's on the roster, but you can't bank on that being a guy long-term if you want to uh, you know, be building for the, for the short-term at all. So um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they move Collins because they, that just seems to always be there. But if you're trying to have the, the more like sort of less chaos scenario, it's like, okay, maybe you offer Bogey around and you offer Herter around with some sweeteners and try to find an upgrade on the wing. I wonder if we've seen a number of teams have success going back to two lineups with two pretty traditional bigs. Um, now, whether Okongwu has the mobility to do that is, is an interesting question, but this is still, this remains. Whether it's, it's Capella or somehow they deal Capella and bring Gobert back, Gobert back, that would still be something I would be very interested in exploring. If I was them, I know there's some some offensive challenges, but yeah, that's really what it is. It's just, just because yeah, of Kongwu's jump shot more than anything else. Like if uh, having two complete non-shooters there is is really been the problem. If they, you know, Kongwu has talked about, um, and this is a big offseason for him, uh, sort of as a non sequitur. Like his, uh, he's not he's not had a, a summer to improve his game without being injured so far as a pro. And if he can add a jump shot, that would be very helpful. And I think that he probably can, but that's been a hesitation. I mean, McMillan's basically, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times he's even tried it for two minutes. Like, he just has no desire to do that. Um, I think when you have Collins, it's a little bit easier because Collins is um, better fit to do that. And it kind of, he's, not, he's not necessarily the same kind of defensive player that a Kongwu is. But, you know, relatively speaking, you're playing a lot of with John Collins and Clint Capella. You're pretty big, even by, you know, the standards of the league now. Like, Collins is a 4.5 and can shoot a little bit and do all that stuff. You get a little bit of that of those positives with that. I, I would have liked to have seen them maybe try a Kongwu and Capella at some point this year, but I'm not sure if it was just a, a, a McMillan thing or a Travis Schlenk thing or what, but they just seem to have absolutely no desire to do that. I don't know if it's going to change in the future, if, and that maybe just because of the offense, because like I said, if you just, at least, at least as of right now, now, they're both total non-shooters, and that's just kind of tough. But uh, if a Congo can shoot a little bit, that makes it easier. I still, like, it's not like, you know, Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen did not have a lot of shooting. And that, that works still, still, still more shooting though. I'll say. I mean, they, they literally will not like if you if, if look at the shot chart of Kongwu. I'm not sure he attempted a shot outside of seven feet this year. And same for Capella. Like at least Mobley could shoot a jump shot if he needs to. I'm not sure either one of those guys can, can actually do. That. I mean, they, they, I mean, I I think that if if the Cavs had made the playoffs, I think we would we would have seen. And the series was close at all. I think we would have seen some fairly extreme not guarding of Evan Mobley on the perimeter. Yeah, um, but, that's right. Um, but yeah, no, it's I mean it's 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 an imperfect thing. Um but also to your point before we move on like back to what I was saying before about a Kongwu like at some point he cannot just be your backup center playing 15 minutes a night. He's he's too talented. They've invested too much in him. That can't be his role for another 2 years. That that, that doesn't make any sense at all for anybody. Oh, hold on a sec. I'll edit this out. My uh my son is is looking at me expectantly. Hold on a sec. <laughs> all right.
Okay, sorry about that. You're good. He's, uh, I understand. He's, he's, we, he doesn't want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He just wants a jelly sandwich. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, parenting. Yeah, yay, parenting. Uh, where, where were we? I got, I got, okay, so we just finished talking about the Akongwu thing. Um, what else did I want to talk to you about? Oh, yeah. Um, so, knowing that they're in this sort of tricky middle ground position, like, where do we even start to set expectations for next year? Like, what is it? Uh, is there, I can't imagine there's any, any appetite for any kind of reset. So how do you, so how do you go about retooling? I mean, I think that, you know, you're, you're, there's good reasons not to do any given move as you've kind of gone through, but that leaves you in sort of a, a an untenable, like, status quo also. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is almost in some ways like a, 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 a cosm of, you know, when we talk about, oh, like, uh, you know, shooting a three in that situation is risky because the game's over. It's like, you trade John Collins and then this and that and this will happen. Yeah, but you'll, you're not good enough. You know, you're not good enough the way you are. So there's risk on both sides there. Um, so I like it's it. it you're presenting good reasons why any given thing might not be the best, but there's something that has to be done. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's kind of the challenge is that uh, I think that there is no appetite to to your point about for them taking a step back. I mean, that's kind of the price for arriving a little bit early and making the conference finals when they did is that uh, they, they're not uh, from ownership on down. No one's excited about not being competitive. They, they want to they're not necessarily all in, but they're certainly in right now. They're not they're, they're not trying to not be. And uh, you know, b- before you know it, you'll start hearing the is Trey Young happy in Atlanta stuff. I'm sure it's just what it's just what happens with stars, I guess. Um, but no, it's um, I think that they are going to and that's this is like the most it's like the least sexy take of all time. But like, I, I do feel very confident that they're going to trade one of their quote unquote core guys. It's just trying to figure out who that guy is. Um, I don't know if it's if, if it's if it's to go get go get Rudy Gobert. It's Capella plus whatever else. Maybe that's their splash move, and you go around the margins. Um, and you you know this following the league, but like one of the questions I have about this team is like, is ownership willing to spend? Because right now, if you look at their cap sheet, not to go down the rabbit hole, but like they don't have a lot of flexibility to do much without going into the tax. And I don't know if they're ready to pay the tax for this team. So that that's another huge question. I mean, I would be I would be you know. I just from a just from a mechanic standpoint, I, I a team that is not a at least a home a first round home court team. I think if they end up in the tax, unless they're sort of on the backside of a competitive window, I think you've probably done something wrong. So I don't like like now is not the time where are they willing to pay the tax is a like is a question that really matters much from the outside because if they do pay it, I think that they've probably if, if they're in the tax next year, I think something wrong has happened. I, t- I tend to agree because they don't want to pay it. But like, if you look at the numbers of what they have on their books, they don't really have room to add much unless yeah. they move on from guys. It's 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 kind of the this is again kind of the price you pay for kind of pushing in on guys like Bogey and Gallo and extending Herder and they just paid everybody. I mean, they've kept yeah. everybody so far, yeah. and uh, eventually you can't just keep doing that. And even if you let Gallo go, um, if Trey makes All NBA, which we, I guess we might know by the time people listen to this. Um, that's six more million dollars in the books for next year. So it's like they have to kind of be ca- not not necessarily cautious, but if you're Travis Schlenk and your mandate from above is to not go over the tax line, it is a little bit limiting on what you can do with the amount of money that they already have spent. On the other hand, I mean, if that's if you're like, hey, you told us to not get stay under the tax line, 
I know you don't want to like you don't love this trade, but like, <laughs> money wise, you know, but no, but it maybe I mean maybe in some ways that does free him up to do something that's a little that's that's like maybe you know he can sell it as a lateral move, but maybe it's even sort of a diagonally you know a, a twenty degrees diagonally but diagonal backwards move to sort of again reset a little bit. So yeah, it, like it, this, it, this it, is. It, it, I was gonna say if they, if they had Steve Ballmer as the owner, you you keep Gallo, use that use that um, that that salary slot in trade, and you can kind of just spend uh, and you know keep the line right and get, you know bring a lot of guys back and spend a ton of money. But they don't have Steve Ballmer. It's just, <laughs> yeah. there, there are limitations somewhere. Right. No. So so the so in in the, in twenty nine other teams economics. They, right. Exactly. Yeah. So so I think, but I think that that in, in you know it's a, it, it, it's a a challenge that's the flip side of which is an opportunity too, because yep. you know, this is, this is something that as I think you've, you've probably observed this as a league is that like the status quo bias is so strong that, Oh, we like we continuity, blah, blah, blah. Oh, why do you need continuity if you're not good enough? Like, you know what they, they ended up, how many games under 500 this year? Like, well, yeah. And, and that's the, that's the real test is like, if you're, if you're ownership, if you're the front office, it's do you believe this is the team that you just had for a year, or do you believe last year's team was real? And I, I know what I believe. I, I think it's a lot closer to this year's team than last year's, especially when you, when you talk about the final result of conference finals. But that 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 carrot can can really change things in a bad way. It can really kind of tease you in a way that shouldn't. But it probably just that's just a reality. If you're an owner and you just see this team made this run and you bring everybody back, basically, like you expect it to happen again, and that wasn't necessarily repeatable. But that is kind of where like what is their baseline? If you're Travis Slank with True Serum. Like, how good do you think you are right now? I know how good they think they are. I mean, how good I think they are, and it's not that good. So, like, I think I'd be more willing to be aggressive or at least doing something different um, than maybe they would be if they believe that they're 51 teams somewhere. I mean, maybe the most sensible thing to do is is you look at, like, at the last two years. And, oh, wow, I was I was shorting them badly on, on record-wise. I got the conferences confused, and I, I was transposing their record with, with New Orleans. No, they, they, were, um, they were over, but not by yeah, much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no. Um, so uh, apologies for that mistake. But, you know, but like over the last, like, you average it out over the last couple of years, and, you know, pro-rating last year, they're 45, 46-win team, maybe, give or take. Yeah. I think that's that's, you know... Given given how similar the teams were over the two years, I think that's a that's a reasonable uh, approximation of where they are. Like there are, you know, everything goes about right. There are six seed, a seven seed. Yeah, that's kind of what I think in my head. Like if you're if you're going into this offseason, that's what I'd be thinking in my brain. Like maybe there's some upside beyond that, but I think of what you have right now um, on your roster under control. Like you can't assume that's a top four team in the East. At, at the very least, you can't assume this is a home court team in the first round right now because they, they haven't done that yet. Even last year, they didn't do that in the regular season. They were they were, they were the five seed. Now, granted, they were better than the four seed probably, but yeah. uh, alas, it's just uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that should give them more aggressiveness. Travis Schleck is not afraid to make a move. That's the thing about him going back to when he first took over. He's not he's not afraid to push some chips in when he needs to. Um, not always with my favorite stuff like the DeAndre Hunter trade was not my, not my favorite move in the world, but like he's not been afraid to do that kind of thing and shake it up and i think that's my one and only uh confident opinion right now is that he's going to do something different it's just really really hard to figure out what that is because they have so many guys who are uh, i'm not gonna say they're they're the same kind of player but they basically have one untouchable piece and then they have six or seven guys who are all on reasonable contracts or they're young guys or both 
And like, but none of them stand out above the rest. I mean, I, I think Collins and Capella are better players than everybody else is, but but they're both properly paid now. So it's not like they're huge bargains either. So they have all this like they have a, they have a tier one guy or a tier whatever they whatever you want to say guy on their on their pecking order, and then everybody else is kind of in the same group. Uh, he's 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 in tier two. Um, for you, yeah, I, that's actually why, why, why I caught yeah. myself saying that. I know who I'm know. talking to right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> tier, um, tier one, I, I, I can tell you this right now, they think he's a tier one guy. <laughs> so, yeah, inter- okay. internal politics, you know. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, can, I understand. Like, yes, there's, there's one, 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 day, one is Giannis, the other is, the, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, th- so this is, this is, you know, an, in- it's an interesting spot, and, you know, this is not, uh, for the front office, like, this, there's not time off happening right now. Let's put it that way. No. Like, there's a lot of, um, if, if my experiences are any indication, like, they are, they are churning through, like, scenarios and decks and everything like that. Because, you know, again, you, they have, they have all these different pieces, but you have to, you know, you, you know what, what kinds of trades people are maybe willing to talk about more. And so then it's like you have to kind of work on multiple different scenarios, you know, simultaneously. Okay, if if we if we think a a, a framework of of Capella and something and draft capital and Jalen Johnson for Gobert, if we think that's that's the question that that is going to continue. I'm like, I I've seen no reporting about that. I know that's like I'm. Yeah. Pure speculation. Like, but if, but if that's like, if that's a live discussion, it's like, okay, that's move one. What else do we have to do? Okay. Well, we have that team and we should probably like, okay, you, you, as we've talked about, like a Kongwu is a 16 minute a game backup, not ideal. Um, but he's probably someone who like, okay, well, uh, Charlotte was probably another team that was trying to get, uh, Rudy. Charlotte can use a defensive center. I wonder what we can get from Charlotte for a Kongwu. And then you're, you know, then you're you're kind of going down that rabbit hole, and like, there's so many different scenarios that they're going to have to play through to, to see. Okay, there and to have to know how much of any one they can execute before they even they even do the first one. So, um, the good news, I guess, for them is sort of the, the the flip side of the early elimination is they got a lot of time to to start to really run these things down. Yeah, and you said, I mean, it, it's interesting because. On paper, they don't have a summer that is you have these these urgent free agent decisions or whatever. Like they have like all of their guys are under contract. So like on paper, it's like, oh, this could be a quite off season, but we all know that's not gonna be the case. Like they have to explore other other avenues. They gotta deal with the draft. Um, they got all these decisions to make and yeah, I mean, the domino effect really happens. Like if they did trade for Gobert, like can you really keep a Kongwu? Probably not. Like you have to make these decisions now and they have to be coordinated on some level. And the only guy on the roster that is that is even close to untouchable is Trey Young. So it's like, yeah, I don't think they want to trade DeAndre Hunter, but if they have to, they would. I'm fairly sure of that. If it was like if it was the right opportunity and somebody comes available we don't, that we don't understand right now, would they do that? And they probably have to at least consider it. So there's a hierarchy, but it's really a one guy hierarchy, and everybody else is kind of available, and that makes your job even uh, even more difficult. In I guess more interesting for us. I mean, I will spend lots of time thinking about options that they have, all while uh, trying to figure out what they actually think of their roster, and that's that's a challenge. So what's your favorite fake trade? Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, something, something as simple as, like, Capella and Hunter for Gobert and maybe a little something else back from, from Utah or even that, like, like that, that's probably, 
I don't know, that seems like a reasonably fair value, just like eyeballing it. But Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, I'm, I'm very pragmatic in that I kind of have a hard time with just pure fake trades with like zero reporting on who's going to be available. You know, like with Rudy, we kind of know he's going to be available, you know, like there's this, there's this thought out there. It's pretty, pretty much out there. Um, so it's like easier to see how that might work. And there's enough guys uh, who do the Intel side that are like, all right, keep an eye on the Hawks to where it's like, okay, pretty interesting to talk about Robert. But like for me, it's like, who's the best Wayne they can trade for. Uh, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Like there's one of the popular guys, this, this is not a wing, but one of the popular ideas locally is like Shea, like is Oklahoma city married <laughs> to Shea? Can Shea get out of Oklahoma city? And it's like, <laughs> I, I think probably not, but like, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those fun things where uh, you find your, the guy or two, like Zach Levine's another one. It's like Levine's a free agent. It's like, okay, well the Hawks don't have cast space. They have to like have him choose there and sign and trade and whatever. So uh, it is a challenge right now for me to like come up with fake trades. I do think that like I go Capella plus whatever framework does make sense. I, I don't know. I mean, it makes them better. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if that changes your like franchise trajectory. You know, you know what I mean? Like that, that'd be my question there is like, what does that look like? I mean, you'd be, you'd be better, but like, can you be a title contender with Trey and Rudy? I think probably not is the answer. So it's like, who knows? Well, I mean, I think that that's like, that's the best construction you're, you're likely to come up with with Trey. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you, short, you short of finding you, that mythical two-way yeah, star wing yeah. that everybody wants, yeah. You have, like, you, can, you have, you know, at least in the regular season, you have a top, for as long as, uh, until Rudy ages out, you've got a top 10 regular season defense. Well, and, and that's, combined, the, the question with Rudy is the contract more than anything else. Like, if it's just the yeah. Rudy the player, he's obviously a great fit with Dre. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they got, you got to spend money, make money a little bit. So, yeah, yeah that's like, true. You can, <laughs> you can like again. It's easy to come up with reasons not to do something, but you know your your uh, the challenge of 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 building a team in the NBA is you're not. Uh, it's like okay, if everything goes average, how does it work? So it's like if everything goes well, how good are we? And that's that's because you know everything has to go well to win a title. So pretty much, have yeah. To price that in. Like, no, and that's it's actually funny for my my own background. Like I, I've had day jobs and things where like my like half my role is to just say why stuff doesn't work. So like my brain's like <laughs> wired that way. So it's right. it's, it's, it's a weakness of mine to be like, all right, well here's how that does, here's why that doesn't work. Whereas if you're Travis Schlank, you I think and this by the way is kind of how he thinks more than anything else. He's definitely an optimist. He likes to like vision things uh, positively. So that probably helps on some level. But uh, yeah, I mean. I think ultimately you got to take some swings and uh, they've made a few in their time. They've not always gone perfectly, but I think run it back is not going to be what happens. That, that's kind of my only conviction right now. Well, that's uh, it is an intra- it is interesting. Um, I guess the last question is what do you think they do um, around the draft? I mean, I, I barring, you know, some like some substantial sort of consolidation trades, like many for one type things, right? I, I'm not sure this is a team that needs more young guys. Well, they they don't, and especially, um, and you can uh, you can imagine how this has gone locally. Jalen Johnson, um, who I thought was a great uh, a great value pick, where he fell, like he fell away further than I thought he was going to go. He's, he's a talented guy, but basically was a zero for them this year. And Nate McMillan right. has no interest in playing rookies, um, so it's like. Locally, that was not very popular, as you might imagine. This uh, this big shiny object of a rookie was not playing, and uh, but yeah, I think that um, especially with this coaching staff, they don't seem 
eager to throw young guys out there, and they already have such an interestingly young roster in some respects that, yeah, I mean, you, you could take the best guy available. Maybe you go a little bit older in the draft. Um, under Bud, they went older in the draft when he was there. When he was, when they were trying to win in their cycle in the mid to, in the mid twenty tens, they were drafting you know twenty two year olds every year. And that didn't necessarily always work either, but I think they kind of tried to bridge the gap of like, all right, we'll try to get somebody that's playable for you versus a guy like Jalen Johnson who was a one and done. Um, it wouldn't stun me if they traded that pick away and tried to, you know, try to what tried to win now because, you know, whoever you get at 16 probably isn't going to play for you a lot next year if you just go by the uh, roster and the head coach. So it kind of depends on what you're actually looking for. What, remind me what their future draft capital looks like. They have all their own first, and they have one extra coming um, from the Reddish trade, but it's protected. It's like a top 16 protected pick next year from Charlotte via New York, and uh, it, did, it, did not con- it did not convey this year, so they only have their, they have their, have their own pick this year, and then they, they might have an extra um, one next year. They had, a, they had a fake OKC first-rounder that they ended up moving uh, that became, became two seconds, et cetera, but it's basically plus one first-rounder is uh, where they are. Sure, and... I- so that I mean again, that does give them some some flexibility because like you can with with non onerous contracts and some draft cap, you can get some things done. It's just a matter of 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 who that guy is or who those players are. Um, and oh, I don't. Yeah, that's the one thing that, that, that they really haven't done is like push in chips. I mean, the only time they ever traded draft capital was the was the was the Andre Hunter trade, and they basically amassed extra capital used a lot of it in that trade, but they've never been in the minus. They, they do have um, at least have all their own picks. And I think eventually they're going to start moving some of those picks and they just haven't done that yet. But I think it's probably going to be time pretty soon here to kind of look um, more sooner rather than later. And that means usually packaging a pick or, a pick or two in the future. Huh. So it seems like this is a conversation we're going to need to revisit in about two months when they've actually done some of these things and just it's uh, because yeah it's, because it's the, really the crazy. board is so open like there's so many pieces yet the board is so open yeah I, can... I, I uh, you'll appreciate this I actually did, I did a radio hit not long ago in Atlanta where like the lead question was basically about how they how they have all these uh, guys under contract and I think the, I think the question was is this going to be a boring off season. And I kind of thought, like, it's the absolute opposite of boring. Like, for me, it's like, this is fascinating. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's, uh, it's very interesting to see where they actually go. No, it, it could end up being boring from the outside just because, like, if there's not a deal to be made, there's not a deal to be made. I mean, I think, sure. I think there's a, there was a lot of teams at the trade deadline this year that I think, oh, they're so quiet at the deadline. It's like, I guarantee you that internally it was not quiet for them. But they, the, Hawks were one, but, the Hawks were one of those teams. Yeah. I, can, uh, I can tell you with confidence they were making a lot of calls, and they, just didn't, they didn't do anything, but they, they kind of wanted to a few times and just couldn't yeah. get it done. Well, I mean, it, it, it did seem that team, the, 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 the players that would have helped a, a team – uh, where the, the the prices being asked were too high, and I was just like, yeah. okay, you're, you've I, like okay, it's a it's a good it's a good market if you have players to trade away, but you still have to like you don't get bonus points for the offers being high if you don't take it. So <laughs> yeah, it did, you wanted it did, a fir- you wanted a first for Gary Harris. That's yeah. like for a half season of Gary Harris or whatever. It's all right. That's, that's probably going to be a little bit too much. It's, it's good to want things is what is the answer to that. But yeah, uh, well, cool. And if, that you think we should we should hit on uh, for for the Hawks in this off season, or uh, have we about have we about run run it down in the absence of of anything actually happening? In the absence of clarity, no. I, yeah. I look forward annually to uh, Hawks fans getting mad at you about your ranking of Trey in the tiers. Uh, other than that, no. I think we're I think we're okay. Um, are they going to be mad if I when I when <laughs> I put Jai ahead of him, 
or are they going to accept that based on? Oh yes, that's that's know. going to be no no that's going to be that's going to be uh you, you'll hear about that. Uh, All right, so, well, and I, so I, we're listen, recording uh, we're recording this the the day after Jaw just dropped forty seven on 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 the Golden State to to win Game Two. So yeah, okay. it's kind of, it's kind of a tougher sell after yeah. after, after after these pl- <laughs> after these playoffs with the yeah. way Trey played and the way Jaw's played, it'd yeah. be kind of a tough sell. He but, dropped forty seven yeah. with one eye in the fourth quarter, and okay, but you know, come at me, bros. But Fan, uh, fandom is not ra- fandom is not rational. It's true. It's true. I'm not sure if you knew that. It's true. I so I've I've really like I've I've. Uh, I'll say this: I have, I've, who know that I've not been a big supporter of Trey. I've, uh, I've come around on him a lot. Like I've, like recognized that he is one of the elite drivers of offense in the league, and I've kind of moved my objective to staying elsewhere. Um, <laughs> That's good. No, I. Yeah. It's like, and listen, I, I've covered him his, his entire career, and he would not be the player that I would drop in a lab. The people that know me that that I that I would uh, that I would want to be building around, but at the same time, like he's objectively incredible on offense. So it's like, you have to at least acknowledge how good he's been. And he has, he still has the same, this is the same question marks, but uh, he's been, uh, he's pretty awesome on offense, if nothing else. Yeah. Well, it's, well you know, that's a, it's a good place for the Hawks to start and a good place for us to end. I think um, uh, Brad, thanks a lot for, for uh, joining, help me out again, reminding people that we're recording this the week before it came out. So if, if somehow uh, reporting has come out in the interim, uh, we, we didn't cover it because it hadn't happened yet. So uh, thanks a lot for joining me, and uh, I will talk to you all more live uh, soon when I get back from my work trip. Uh, thanks a lot for joining, and take care. All right, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. We, uh, it's, it's funny. We talked for 45 minutes without resolving anything, but it, it, just, it does seem like well, that's I where mean, the hots are. That is really my challenge. I mean, right now, it's like everybody wants this offseason. Okay, all right, I can talk about the same stuff, but like... Uh, if you want answers, I don't have them for you. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do, but they don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I yeah. talked to Travis <laughs> off the record the other day, and it was like he doesn't know what he's going to do. I mean, they have they have ideas, but like the board's open. You mean you can work the trade machine just as good as he can? I mean, yeah, they're making calls. I mean, they're doing draft mm-hmm. workouts, and he's uh, he's loving life in terms of like having all these options. But like, they don't have they don't they don't know what the hell they're going to do. This is actually like if as long as like everyone's not pissed off at each other, this is actually one of the one of the best times to work for an NBA team. If oh, you're, I, if can, you're, I can only imagine. It, it, like, just because, you know, you know, you don't, there's not, there's not a ton that's very high pressure right now. And you're, you know, doing draft workouts and you're making player lists and you're coming up with fake trades. This is like the most, it's like, the basketball stuff. The I, stuff. It's, yeah. it's the most do that job, like of any part of the job. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, like, obviously nobody's, happier in that building right now with the way things went this year but like now that they've had a you know week and a half it's like all right now now the real now the real work starts again and you just kind of have to reset and not be pissed off and try to put the work in and also at least we're not utah uh, like well yeah you know, i mean we, yeah, I, we I, didn't I make mean, the direct so, comparison but, we didn't make well, the direct yeah, comparison somebody asked but, me the other day yeah somebody asked me the other day like who who has better perimeter defense the hawks or the jazz and i was like the hawks I think yeah. like that's how bad the Jazz are. Like I think it's the I think it's the Hawks. <laughs> no, I, terrible. No, I think I think I think the other. I mean, I didn't really want to again because I've been taking enough shots at him. But I think like Trey sure. should be very thankful at Donovan Mitchell because he'd be getting a lot more heat right now. You know, except for Donovan Mitchell has kind of stepped into that role. Yeah, Donovan, did you know, Donovan been, Mitchell, and, 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 and Kyrie are kind of the two guys who are you know for for yeah. 
Well, it's also it's also good sometimes to be Atlanta and not be a marquee franchise because when you right. when you flame out, ESPN's not leading with you on first take every day. If you're if you're not if you're not the Hawks and they and they hate the they hate that they're not the, the marquee franchise, but right now they, they probably love it because nobody's talking about them anymore. Right. So it well, is what cool. it is. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot. And let me know when you want me to come on yours. Um, like not not next week because I'm in, in Barcelona. Uh, rough rough stuff. Yeah. Right? No. We'll cycle back when you get yeah. back. Um, and I'll uh, I'll find, we'll find a time that works for you. But yeah, cool. we'll uh, we'll do a version of this on my show probably. Awesome. <laughs> That'd be good. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. No. Thank you so much. Uh, talk soon.